Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. I want to continue this morning on how to create in your working world part three. And I have a subtitle for you a little bit later, the topic we're going to home in on. But I want to say a few things about business and working and our working world as we set off this morning. How many of you realize that business has got a bad name? Sometimes when people, especially Christians, speak about business, it's almost like, yeah, business, they're the ones who rip you off and they take your money. And, and we can give business a bad name. Meanwhile, business is what generates income. And all of us, strangely enough, can speak about business in a negative light, but we all use businesses. That's the irony of it. Well, someone I respect is a man called Walter E. Williams. He's an American economist, and he said the following about business. He speaks about Walmart, you know, the big store. It's like a big macro. It's probably bigger than that. They're all over the country. And he says, Walmart has become the whipping boy for political demagogues, unions, and anti-traders. I suggest they have the wrong target. Walmart exists and prospers because tens of millions of Americans find Walmart to be a suitable source of goods and services. Unions and anti-traders should direct their outrage and condemnation at the tens of millions of Americans who shop at Walmart and keep it in business. Isn't that the truth? You can complain about business, but you keep using business. But business is God's vehicle for making a better South Africa. It's not going to come from anywhere else but from business. Governments get money from business that they end up making promises to give you. Just thought I'd pause there because, oh, oh. Are you with me? And Jesus, funny enough, in all these parables, mostly speaks about business and money. Isn't that interesting? And we don't realize how important business is. Jesus' parables, he, he often would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. But really what he was pointing to would be stories about business. And I want to read a passage this morning before I give you the subject this morning that we're dealing with. Where he talks about business in three aspects. Because we need to be reminded that God has called us in his image to create in South Africa. Not to just go and find a job, not just to exist and pass the time and get a salary, but to create, not just to use up and deplete or destroy. So let's read here Jesus speaking about opportunity and business in Matthew chapter 13. Are you all with me? Matthew 13 from verse 24, it says, Jesus told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, individual, who sowed good seed in his field while everyone was sleeping. His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Let's just pause here for a moment. When you go to work and you work hard, you won't just make profit. There'll be losses. It won't just all go well. There'll be challenges. And people say, I thought it should be all wonderful because God's there. No, he said, by the sweat of your brow will you produce. And we forget that. I want an ideal. I'm leaving my job because my boss is harsh on me. You're under the fall, baby. It's going to be tough out there. But you will see wheat. Don't put your eyes on the weeds. It goes on to say the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? 
Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvesters, until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Don't spend your time trying to solve problems. Where just focus on being productive. Because the more productive you are, there will always be weeds, but you're focusing on wheat. Some of us get so distracted. Every day we go to work, we focus on the problems. But here's a bit of an encouragement to us. Then he, gets, he, he tells them again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man, an individual, took and planted in his field. Those is the smallest of all seeds. Yet, I love that, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. It started with something you could hardly see, but now suddenly it's become something massive. It goes on again. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That a woman, we've got to be gender equal here because it's a man, a man, and then a woman. A woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. That's 27 kilograms of dough that she worked through. Notice there's some important lessons we can learn from here that I want you to see before I give you some practical unpacking from this this morning. We've got some, some, some keys here, five keys that I want to bring to you. So f- number one here, four important lessons from the text is all business starts with individuals and God. All business starts with individuals and God. A man, a man, a woman. Get your eyes off companies, corporations. Don't, oh, I need a job, Uh, this big company. No, individuals are what start businesses. Apple was once an individual. Are you with me? Microsoft was once an individual. All big companies start with a man or a woman who decides to do something. Secondly, all businesses can grow. Isn't that encouraging? You start a business, it can start as a mustard seed. Later it's established like a tree. And everyone comes to look and learn from it. And it says here the seed sprouted, wheat came, there's progress. The flour got the, wheat, the, the yeast put through it. The, the entire thing was, a, was, was affected by it. Number three, all businesses have unexpected challenges. So don't be put off starting a business. Challenges will come. They're just part of the nature. They're always negatives. When you want to do something good. Number four, all business involves hard work. Do you notice how the woman had to work it through the dough? 27 kilos of dough, sowing and sowing. There's always effort. So today, I want to speak to you about the importance of business. How we need to create in our working world. But I've entitled the message simply this. Be your own business. Be your own business. In other words, you are the business. Don't see yourself as a helpless victim. I'm an employee. I go to work every day. What can I do? They don't pay me enough. And then you wish that at the next election, things would change for you because you want someone else to change your world. And God says, no, you change your world. You create in your working world. I've gifted you to create. Be your own business. And I've got five key things. We'll spend a bit of time on number three. But I think these five key things, as you think of a business, I'm going to speak to you about how you can be a business. Be your own business. Are you with me? So number one, realize you are the product. 
You are the product. A lot of the time we go to work and we see the products we sell or we are handling or dealing with or marketing or we're in accounting or some kind of service and we see that as, no, you are the product. You sell yourself to your boss every week if you work for a company. He's buying your labor. So don't go to work and say, I can't stand this company and they don't pay me enough. You sell yourself somewhere else. Why are you a victim? Be the product. Realize you are the product. And we all sell our time. There are no exceptions to this rule. All of us are selling our time to someone. We're in our own business. Because our life, our breath, and our gifts are the product that we're bringing to the marketplace. Now, we can't come to the marketplace and sign up with an employer and then complain bitterly. At any stage, you can change it. And if they don't pay you enough, increase your value. There are a couple of people this morning are receiving it. Others are. It all starts with you. Everything starts with a man. A man, a woman. Not a company. That's how the kingdom works. God works in you and through you. Walter E. Williams, who I quoted earlier, the economist, said this. He said, wealth comes from successful individuals' efforts to please one's fellow man. That's what competition is about. Out-pleasing your competitors to win over customers. Who are your competitors in the workplace if you're working in a big company? Say you're in an office with 150 people. They are your competitors. So you've got to, you've got to shine. They're going to look at that office and say, must be a Christian. Sad to say, today the Christians are ducking and diving as much as everyone else. Even trying to raise dead people that aren't dead. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy because it makes us all look bad. It makes us all look like we're scammers. We're not. When one doctor's a fake or one airline pilot is a fake, not all others are. So you need to stand out. You're the product. Are you with me? Someone who I respect, whose church I visited some years ago, Pastor Tony Evans, uh, he, he said the following. He said, if you want a better world composed of better nations, inhabited by better states, filled with better countries, made up of better cities, comprised of better neighborhoods, illuminated by better churches, populated by better families, then you'll have to start becoming a better person. You see, you are the product. But we keep looking the government, the company, and then we criticize all that and we wonder why we're impoverished. God's called us to look past that and to create. And you've got something in you. You are the product. Number two, this is going to surprise you. Tidy your shelves and polish the stock. So what does that mean? Well, Pastor Wilma and I ran a manufacturing business. We used to produce handbags, mostly footwear. We had all sorts of lines, and then we had retail outlets that we supplied, plus people who bought from us wholesale. What she did every day was to supervise and manage the staff in the retail outlets every morning. In fact, several times a day, they would tidy the shelves because people would try things on, leave it lying around, and they would dust. And sometimes they'd even have to polish up the stock if it looked a bit dull. Why? People knew what they wanted, but if it's well presented... People will buy. How many of you have been to shops and you see them folding the jeans all the time? 
Go to any of those clothing shops, they're folding the jeans. Sometimes you see them with a steam iron, steaming the wrinkles out of the clothing. Well, we know it came in boxes. We know it came from China. It should be wrinkled. <laughs> no, the way something's perceived will determine how it will be sold. Now, you are a product. And you better keep your shelves clean and polish yourself up. Make yourself look the best you can. A Christian shouldn't go to work looking all shabby. Uh, woke up late, at least I'm here. No, you've got to learn how to speak. You've got to learn how to pronounce words. If it's not your mother tongue, maybe you come from a foreign country. Whoever you are, you've got to learn to speak because people need to hear you clearly. When you're on the phone, good morning. You go home, you practice it. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Do you know that when I traveled to America, I changed my accent? You have to have those, they're like, what? You go to Australia, you park your car. You don't park your car. So you have, to, you have to polish yourself. When I go to America and I'm talking about pastors and leaders, I say, pastor. We say pastor, it's like Italian food. But you have to polish yourself and tidy your shelves because you are the product. It's all you got. See, we are the stock. But this is what most people say. It's fine for you to say, you've got capital. And people always look at business. If I had someone must give me capital. No, no, no. Listen to me. I'm teaching you the Bible. Joseph, Joseph was in prison for two to three years. He came out with no capital. They don't give you money in prison. They don't say, hey, we're going to give you money. When you come out, you can start your own business. No, they don't. They beat you. They put you in a dungeon. In those days, it was worse than today. But what does the Bible say Joseph did when Pharaoh heard about him? Read with me here in Genesis 41. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. That's where he was, in the depths. And he had shaved and changed his clothes. Ugh, just what's a bit of stubble if you know a dream? You've got to polish your shelves. And he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I love this. I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. How good is that? So Joseph, he's got gifts and talents in the prison that he's polishing. One day I'm going to be out of here. They put him in charge of the prison. He's got no capital, but he comes out and presents himself well. This is all I've got. This is the product. And he talks to Pharaoh and they buy him. Oh, he was appointed. Yeah, that's basically buying his labor. We'll give you money and put you in charge. Why? Because he was the product and he was polished. Number three, here's the third thing. Are you with me this morning? You need to convert your worth into net worth. And I'm going to give you four points under this in a moment. But you know that you've got worth as a human being, don't you? But your worth is not good enough to have rights. You need to convert it into net worth. Many Christians, they found their worth. Thank you, Lord, that I'm more valuable than sparrows, that you love me, that you've forgiven me. Thank you for your grace. Then they're going to the workplace and expect grace there. No, God is, your workplace is not as gracious. Customers are not as gracious as God. God will overlook the packaging. Because he knows the heart. But if you're going to go into the workplace, you firstly need to know your worth as a human being, your worth in Christ, but then you need to convert it into net worth. 
You see, you're born with worth, but you're not born with net worth. Chance determines worth. Choice determines net worth. Are you receiving something this morning? You see, it's so important for us to realize that, that, that we've got worth. And, and here's a problem. When people don't know their worth, and they end up with a lot of net worth, a lot of money, they become arrogant. Because they don't know who they are, now they rely on their positions. That's why when, when, when someone who has low self-esteem gets a really nice car, they tell everybody, you know, this is mine. And they dress up and they get that walk. You want to slap them because they don't know their worth. Isn't that the truth? See, God wants you to know your worth and then to increase your net worth because then you can handle it. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy 1, Timothy 6, to charge the rich in this world not to be arrogant. How do you get arrogant? Not just through riches. It's because you don't know your worth. Now you're carrying something weighty that your character can't handle. So we must know our worth, but we must convert it to net worth. Are you with me? See, your worth is who you are in Christ. Your net worth is what Christ can bring to you. You can't know the one without the other. Our worth is our personal value. Our net worth is our financial value. Now, this is important. Let me say this to you this morning. When you come to Christ, you, you, you put it like this. Your worth is what you get through Christ and human rights. Your net worth is what you get through Christ and late nights. Let me say that again. Your worth is what you get through Christ and human rights, a constitution that tells you what you're worth. But what your net worth comes from is from Christ and your late nights, what you do to develop the product. How much time you spend polishing the shelves. Now, how does something increase in value? How do you increase a product, a car, a piece of furniture, a piece of jewelry, a stamp? How does it increase in value? Not just by getting old. Let me give you four things this morning for increasing your worth into net worth. Number one, become rare. Become rare. When things are rare, their value increases. Isn't that the truth? When there's only one of a thing or a few of a thing, let me tell you about a Mercedes SLS Gullwing. Beautiful car. Started making them in 2010. Wonderful car. And I noticed, I said, one day when my kids are grown up, you know, I'm out of the house, maybe as a pastor, get like a six or seven-year-old one, you know, and tint the windows, people can't see me. 6.2 liter naturally aspirated V8 AMG, all aluminium body. Dribble, dribble, dribble. And so just... Just, you know, just a whim, not like a goal. Because I live wisely. All things are lawful, not all things are helpful. Yeah. I'll tell you this as an aside. Recently when I bought my car, a couple of months, nine months ago, they offered me a Bentley Coupe for the exact same price. I chose not to buy it, not because I didn't see it as a bargain. It's just not a wise thing to drive a Bentley Coupe. <laughs> you can, but I can't. Because people are raising dead bodies that are not being raised. That's why. Now, stay connected with me here and in Santa. 
I watched this car and the prices were dropping. They, they started about 2 million uh, several, many years ago, which is a lot of money for a car. And then I see it's 1.4, 1.1. Saw some of them 900,000. I thought, hmm, that will drop down to a place where secondhand, if I can get one with low mileage, it'll be a great thing to have. And, you know, as soon as that car was discontinued, they brought out the GT. It jumped up in price 30%. You can't find them easily under 2 million now. And they tend, some of them nine, eight, seven, eight years, years old. The cheapest one I've seen is 1.9 million. Because it's rare. It's not like most cars. So you want to get ahead and be a business? You're the product. Tidy the shelves. Don't look for capital. Present yourself well and be rare. Stand out. Because every day doctors, lawyers, accountants, workers, shop assistants go to work. But they don't stand out. We're meant to be salt and light. They should seek us out. Like Pharaoh sought out Joseph. A couple of verses here. Nehemiah said that he chose someone for leadership. Look, look at the reason. He says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. He was rare. That's why we've got problems in leadership, because you've got average people there. Philippians chapter 2, moving quite along. Paul says, yeah, I have no one quite like Timothy. He's loyal, genuinely concerned for you. Imagine if we had civil servants like that. Would that be rare? Hmm? Loyal and genuinely concerned. He says, most people around you are looking out for themselves. We're not most people as Christians. Then Matthew chapter 24, there will be more and more evil in the world. So most people will stop showing their love for each other. They'll be rude to co-workers and they'll be rude to customers and you'll struggle to find people that you can actually use because they'll be more interested in rights than service. You want to know why business is going wrong? We've got the wrong understanding of the Bible. And then there's one last one here, Proverbs chapter 20. Most men, that includes women, will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? How I many you know most people overpromise and underdeliver? We need to be rare. We need to keep our word. We need to be people like, man, there's so many people in this, but you. You know, last year I had to have an MRI scan. They, you know, when, they, when you get older, you know when you're young, it's like a car. They just polish you. As you get older, they lift up the hood. They put you up and they look underneath. Whoa. Anyway, I had an MRI scan. Do you know how expensive an MRI scan is? Yeah, there, there are many machines in the world, but this one can detect things that other, other machines can't detect. And it's rare. Not everyone's got these machines. So as a result, they're very expensive. We need to be people that are rare, that can do what the average person can't do, that can go into a company and scan and pick up stuff that the average person doesn't. Then we'll be sought after. See, so many of us think that when we get a degree, that's going to be the key. People get student loans, they get degrees, and they come out, they can't get a job. What I'm teaching you today, you don't get a business school. This is the key to success. <laughs> Point B now, are you there? How do you increase your worth into net worth? Improve your quality. The quality of a product increases its value. The reason that Mercedes-Benz is, 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 is appreciating is not just because it's rare, but it's also good quality. See, some things look good quality, but actually on the inside they're not. I won't mention any products. 
But you mustn't just look good. You need to be well presented, but also emotionally strong. You mustn't just look good and then fall apart at work. You need to develop your emotional strength. And you develop the quality of your life externally. Your attitude, the way you speak, the way you present yourself. But then when you go through challenges and difficulties and conflicts with coworkers, it's a quality product. It doesn't buckle. It doesn't fall apart. It goes on a bumpy road. It doesn't rattle. Mercedes Benz. Can't help but tease you. You see, excellence is admired and respected and sought after. Let me, let me say this. Average is top of the bottom. Best of the worst. Worst of the best. Who are you today? Jim Collins in his book, How the Mighty Fall, he says the signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. Up and down, up and down. No, no, you can't have quality when it suits you. You've got to be a quality person through Christ. And here's how you improve quality. You give attention to detail. Some people aren't worried. What, I'm not worried about the details. No, you need to be. Because there's some spinach in your tooth. Imagine you go talk to a client and you tell him about a multi-million rand deal. And he says, piece of spinach. And they're like, you're going to fix a multi-million rand deal, but you can't see the spinach in your tooth. I don't trust you. One of my biggest fears as a pastor is getting up one day to preach with my fly open. Don't look. <laughs> we all have a method where we put our hand and we check. Because your presentation is important. Isn't that the truth? And I'm not just being silly this morning. You see, you need to remember that it's in the details that your life has actually improved. It's a small leak that empties a reservoir. It's the last snowflake that causes the avalanche. And try and eat your fries without salt. Little thing. Massive difference. You know, I've watched a lot of programs on classic car restoration. And quality is very important. You can't just fix a classic car and when you get underneath, you know, go down to the builders and get some screws. No, they've got to be exactly the ones that belong to that car from that era and you have to source them. Otherwise, $500,000 could be knocked off the price. And yet we think we can, just, we, can, we can just wing it. No, you can't. You are the product. Polish your shells. Polish your, tidy the shells, polish, and convert your worth into net worth. Come on now. You see, some of you are listening to me today, and you say, well, I'm not in, you know, I just work, and I just, you know, I just get a salary. No, 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 listen to me. It's very important. Martin Luther King Jr., who we all respect, he said this, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Imagine how South Africa would be if we did small things in a great way because we are the product. Yeah, point C, keep learning and growing. Don't just get your degree and then stop. Don't go to work mindlessly every day and get into that boring routine where life is a grind. Oh, my job sucks, you know. The people I work with and these big companies, all you do is you behave like a victim. Now keep growing and keep learning so that you don't have to stay where you are. Rivers Church teaches you that we don't just have one small campus and we're happy that it's full. We went from that small building, five services, into a bigger building where we had three services. And then from there, we went into six services. Now we've gone into this new big building. And people said to me, well, you have arrived. No, we haven't. Now we've got Kalami, And we've got Centurion. And where are we going next? Because you've got to keep learning and growing. 
Brian Tracy, the great leadership teacher, said this, those people who develop the ability to continuously acquire new and better forms of knowledge that they can apply to their work and to their lives will be the movers and shakers in our society for the indefinite future. You've got to learn how to go and learn and grow, and you've got to pull something out of you. Imagine if I got up here this morning, well, it's been six or eight weeks since the beginning of the year, and I've been preaching, and you know the anointing is heavy. So this morning, church, just 15 minutes, three points that God gave me. Don't want to tire you out because I'm tired. How many of you are going to come to church next week? How many are inspired by that? But because I get up as though nothing can touch me, you feel, of course we can. Now, the reason I tell you that is not to boast. I want to tell you a story. In the 1980s, there was a band called Huey Lewis and the News. Some of it's too young to even know them. And they did a song called The Power of Love. It became a hit. Even if you don't like it, you'd hear it everywhere you go. He sang it in the movie Back to the Future. And one of our friends went there to a concert in America, and he played. And this is what he said before he played the song live. He says, when I wrote this song years ago, I had no idea I would have to sing this song every day for the rest of my stinking life. <laughs> and then he said, they kicked off and they played it as though they'd written it yesterday. After playing it for 20, 30 years, they were able to pull, why? Because they kept improving, not just the song, but their attitude. We go to work and our attitude goes down, down, down until retirement when they're glad to say goodbye. No, they need to be, oh, please don't retire. Can you do another year? Can you do another two? No, we'll pay you more. Can you come back? Just a thought. John Maxwell in his book, The Invaluable Laws of Growth, said to reach your potential, you must grow. And to grow, you must be highly intentional about it. Write this down somewhere. You need to spend between one and two hours a day developing yourself personally. If you don't, you won't grow. You have to. You have to read. You have to study. You have to research your field, go on a course. You need to have more information than your competitor, even if you're in a job, because you are the business. And that's how you get ahead. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Listen, the internet is full of information. Any, any person who's done anything is there. You can learn to do anything. Elon Musk was asked by a, a reporter, uh, I see you building rockets. How did you learn about rockets? You know what he said? I read books. I read books. In a book called Don't Wait for Opportunity, Create It, the author says success leaves clues. Whatever you want to accomplish in life has already been achieved by someone else. This is good news as you can learn from the person. You just need, to, just need to get books. How many of you would like someone to personally mentor you? People come to me in the foyer all the time. Oh, Pastor Andre, would you be my mentor? No, I can't. There are too many people. But guess how you can be mentored? Through books. You know what? A book is a mentor that you can drain. They don't mind being scribbled on. They don't need to be fed. You just carry them with you. Let me give you the definition of a book this morning. A book is a friend who is always available and ready to share their knowledge over and over again to enrich your life. A portable mentor. Someone who will never leave you and is ready anytime you are to teach you. Do you know that it only takes 30 minutes a day to read two books a month? Shame. 
I read three, minimum three books a week. I have to, because I need to keep growing and learning. So just read two books. Listen to me. Two books a month is 24 a year. They say it takes something like 10 or 12 books to be an expert on a topic. Just by the way, I've read 12 books on global warming. Every person I've chatted to about global warming who has strong opinions, who basically spit fire in your face, has not even read three. Be careful you don't get your opinions from news and television and newspapers and then sound like you're the expert. You've got to be rare. You've got to know what you're talking about. And I'm not into the whole global warming debate. I'm just telling you, if you want to find out something, you're responsible for people like I am. You better know the truth. You can't rely on popular politics. And you can get that by just reading 30 minutes a day. So are you serious about growing and converting your worth into net worth? It really is up to you. Jim Rohn said this. He said, pity the man who has a favorite restaurant, not a favorite author. He has picked out a favorite place to feed his body, but he doesn't have a favorite place to feed his mind. And can I say, you know how you, you, know how you grow and learn by reading books? When you meet people, you ask them questions. Don't have all your conversations where you do all the talking. You can learn from people. Ask questions. So tell me. So tell me. I love what it says in, in Romans 12. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. You know how you learn? You can learn from anybody if you ask questions. You may remember the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Will Smith did so well in the role of Chris Gardner in that movie. And the pivotal point in the movie is when he goes up to a man who's impeccably dressed in a red Ferrari and he says to him, what do you do? And the man says, I'm a stockbroker. It triggers something in Will Smith's mind and it makes him realize that this is what he wants to be. So he goes and offers himself as a product to a stockbroking firm for six months for free. And that's why the story is such a success story because you get nothing for nothing. You have to come as a product and he had to start at the bottom, but look where he ended up. Are you with me? So you need to keep learning and growing. Point number D, are you still with me? Is increase your productivity. Your output needs to increase. We all have a limited lifespan. Every one of us has limited years. What we produce in that time is what will determine our net worth. Titus chapter 3, our people should also learn how to set an example by doing good things when urgent needs arise so that they can live productive lives. There's nothing worse than a person who goes to work to use, to fill up a slot, and to take a salary. No, you were designed to create. And people who learn the value of time and productivity, they're the ones who excel. I love what this unknown person said. We are not given a good life or a bad life. We are given a life. It's up to us to make it good or bad. You can convert your worth into net worth. Don't just rest in Christ. Move on and accomplish something. Number four. You being helped today? I think they're being helped in Santum. Persevere and take risks. Keep going. Many people fail because they just don't keep going. And it takes a while before you're successful. But you've got to take risks. You've got to step out. You've got to do it again. You remember when Jesus sent the disciples out onto the lake? The Bible says they had been fishing all night, Luke chapter 5. But he said, go and cast your nets on the other side. In other words, keep going. Keep at it. Oh, but Lord. And then, he, then they say this, but because you say so. Do you know what the whole Bible is about? Perseverance. 
He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. Perseverance produces results. You know, when we were a small church, people didn't even know where we were. They talked to me and said, where are you? In Santon? We? I go up that road all the time. Ask them now. And what did it? We didn't suddenly find a key that unlocked. Now we got it. We just, one service, two service, three service, four. Four services, five services, even some more. Today you can't miss us. Can you see? Came through perseverance and taking risks. Buying this building was a risk. No guarantees. You didn't all write down, I hereby pledge loyally to come and to tithe and I will never stay away. <laughs> you see, we're in a large church with 160 staff with five campuses. It's hugely risky, isn't it? But you make it less risky when you start managing risk. Lewis Hamilton, who drives a Mercedes Benz, and they've won the Grand Prix so many times that Ferrari's intimidated. It's a very risky profession to drive a car over 300 kilometers an hour for a living. But he's managed the skill of managing risk. You can't avoid risk because risk brings life. But you can learn to manage it. Warren Buffett, people with stocks and shares, have lost all their savings and jumped out of the windows of buildings in America. But he's learned to manage the risk. See, some of you want it easy and comfortable. No, you've got to keep persevering and you've got to take some risks because that's how you get to catch a fish. And that's how you get somewhere. Am I making sense this morning? You don't just have an easy life. You've got to persevere. John Grisham wrote a novel, and he's a, he's a Baptist Christian, actually. He's a, he's a wonderful man. He wrote a novel called A Time to Kill. It was his first novel, and he put it out to 28 agents. Well, only one of them picked up on it, printed only 5,000 copies. In America, that's very little. And he bought 1,000 and tried to sell them out of his boot. But here's the key. John Grisham, the day he finished this novel, he started his next one. He didn't wait for this one to be successful. He kept on growing and producing productivity. The next novel sold 7 million copies. Then when it came, listen to this, when it came to, uh, eight of his books have been made into movies, by the way. When it came to a, a book called The Painted House in 2001, the first print was 2.8 million copies. There are over 100 million copies of his books in print in 42 languages. He took risks, but he persevered. Are you still with me this morning? Number five. Pay your key supplier first, then pay yourself. And all the suppliers in the house here and in Sandin said, Amen. It's terrible when you supply goods to someone and you see them driving a brand new Mercedes or a Ferrari and they can't pay you. How many you know when you run a business, you have a supplier? They are a supplier service of some kind or they supply stock. We once ran a gift shop that Pastor Vilma opened and people would bring us stock pencils and gifts and rubbers and cards and all sorts of unnecessary things that gift shops sell. We sold that. And when you get to the end of the month, you can't say, well, we're going to eat out because it's been a hard month. You've got to pay your supplier even if you haven't sold your stock. That's how business works. And if, now imagine your supplier finds out that you've ignored them. They're not going to give you stock for the next month. I gave you stuff last month and the month before, and now you're not paying me. What's with it? 
Now here's the thing. God is our supplier. If we are in business, God and Son have given us breath and life and enabled us to be the business every day. Is that the truth or not? So we must put our supplier first. There's a saying in, in all the money books and in, in all the money blogs, pay yourself first. You know what it means? It means put money into savings. Because if you don't, your future will not be secure. Well, listen, don't pay yourself first. Pay God first. Because he's a supplier of breath and life and intelligence and ideas. And that will ensure your future. The clapping has died down somewhat. I think they're clapping louder in Santon. See, we've got to get up, get our priorities right. They say a lot of businesses collapse because people don't have their priorities right. Look at this verse here in Proverbs 24. I've quoted this so many times. It says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. They say a lot of business, as soon as they start seeing money, people start buying cars, fancy clothing. No, no, you've got to get the thing running. Then you can start building a nice house, taking some money out. And the same with God. You are a business. You've got to put him first. If you keep taking out, this thing will die. Your opportunities will die. It explains it here. It's, it explains it here. You wanted to clap. Come on, all clap. It explains it here in Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. It's a very fancy word, eh? Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. Well, what does it mean? Well, the Message Bible explains it better. Proverbs 3, it says, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Talking about the tithe. Your barns will, be, will burst and your wine vats will brim over. So when you give God the best and the, fir the first and the best, guess what happens? He, as your supplier, unlocks your supply of opportunity, of ideas, of insight, and he blesses you. That's what it teaches in Malachi. In Malachi, they gave the worst. They found the blind. Find me that blind sheep, the one that walks into the wall that's full of scabs. Bring that to the Lord. No, no, you don't, you don't call your supplier. How much do I owe you? 200,000. Now I've got 20 for you. They'd be like, What? That's an insult. If you found your supply and you said, uh, how much do I owe you? 200. I've got 180. They'd be, they'd be happy because you're trying to give your best. You've got to give God your 10% because it's his. He's the supplier who gave you your breath. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? And when you honor God and you put him first, you are the product. You grow and improve yourself. You increase your worth into net worth. You polish yourself. You keep growing. You become rare. Tell you what, you'll be sought after. And when you put God first as your supplier, watch your life as a business thrive. Before I hand over to Santon this morning, I want to read to you what Denzel Washington said in a speech at a university way back in 2015. He gave the valedictory speech and he said this, put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think and see in me. Everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things, he says. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. He's talking about his acting. And all of us, what we've got in our lives is a gift. I've been protected. I've been directed. And I've been corrected. 
I've kept God in my life and it's kept me humble. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.